everybody. Welcome back to the Gamerpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bradford Carlton. Today, I have a very special guest with us. I have Isaac Phoenix. Hey there, Isaac. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Oh, it's a beautiful sunny day in Las Vegas. How about yourself? You know what? I'm down here south in Texas, and uh, we're actually getting the same right now. Not, not too hot, not too cold, so perfect. I, yeah, I, we, uh, we turned off summer about a week and a half ago. We were at like 95, 95, 95. Now we're down to like 78. It's like, how do we pull out those, uh, very, you know, the long sleeves, but not quite the jackets, not yet. That's right. <laughs> All right. So Isaac, I like getting into the show, just getting right to it. So could we just uh, start by you telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem. So, um, you know, I, I'll start off by giving you the uh, classic interview line. You know, I've always loved games. I've always loved writing. And now I kind of put them together. Um, I'm a narrative designer. So I'll go through and I, I specialize in games. Um, I, I'm a huge believer in story structure. And that story structure works for any medium. But there are also different aspects to each medium. And I specialize in, in gaming as a whole. So... That is so cool. I cannot wait to talk to you about this. I, I really can't. Like I've been looking forward to this one for a while. But before I do that, I ask every guest a single question. So I'm going to ask you just like I ask everybody else. So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being high, how weird are you, Isaac? So I'm a father. And when you become a father, there's a certain level of, there's a certain shift that you have to have to be able to embarrass your children. And I think it's just a biological component that just activates. Um, you know, I've got an Instagram that is just filled with pictures of my children that I'm like ready for the boyfriend phrase and the friend phase where I'm like, I have the instant weapon against you. If you don't listen to me, I have every embarrassing picture we have ever taken in the palm of my hand, but I'm not overly eccentric so I'd, I'd say that you know you get at least three four points for being a father and i'm maybe a few points ahead of that so i'd say uh six or seven i love it i was uh, doing tiktok with my daughter it's the only thing i was doing on tiktok i was doing dad jokes <laughs> and she's oh. two so i figure if i do this long enough over enough years i can go like hey look what we did together like oh, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's the ultimate weapon i mean just it's it's um the most powerful weapon just in the palm of your hand. I love it. All right. So this is the gamerpreneur. And I'm sure you've done plenty of interviews and you've probably been asked a lot of these questions before, but I'm going to go ahead and ask them too. Um, yeah. When did you first start playing video games? Give me your cred. I have no idea. Um, you know, I, I was born in 92 and I was playing games as long as I can remember. I know that I was no older than three or four when the earliest picture of me I, I was playing games. Um, I do know that a big title of mine that I was working, I was a big Naughty Dog fan back in the day and to a certain extent still am. Um, you know, I enjoy um, Last of Us. I enjoy the Uncharted series. It's, it's no Jack and Daxter though. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed the Crash Bandicoot series and the Spyro series. I had an N64. So, you know, I am not, um, you know, going all the way back to the Atari. I've played those games for, you know, academic purposes as well as enjoyment, but that's kind of essentially when I started, is about 95, 96. Okay, and I'm going to presume that you still play today. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I play at least a little bit every day. Um, I definitely am busy, um, and, I, you know, to a certain extent, I'd almost say that, you know, making games in any in any way is almost as equivalent as playing them, but I definitely set aside 
a, you know, 15 to 30 minutes at least every single day to make sure that I'm playing. And sometimes that's like a classic game that I'm like, I enjoy this. I know this, but I've played this before all the way to something like, okay, this is, I'm playing this for a very academic reason. And it's still fun, obviously, but just to make sure that I've got everything that I need to know under my belt. Okay, I got to ask because I've had uh, other guests on here who are in the gaming industry as well. And a quote that stuck out in my mind was that the deeper you get into the video game industry, the less time you have to play video games. That, that I mean, I would say that that is and isn't true. Um, in one way, you know, just you get busy, you have a family, you have work, and then you in general have less time to play games. But it also depends on the type of game that you play. I mean, if you're a big into the multiplayer titles, then, you know, it's not hard to pick up a game for 15 minutes, play it, and then put it down. Um, but if you're into a single player title, you have to sit there and watch the, hey, previously on this episode, and then get started playing. And then by that time, it's it's all done. Um, you know, I... Uh, it, it really does depend. However, I would almost say that in a general sense, as you get more into the gaming industry, it becomes more important to play games. Um, you know, you get a lot of stuff going on um, with, uh, you know, newer games. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that it's almost more important to play games. You'll see a lot of articles on the internet that sit back and say, oh, why have hard games, you know, where, where have the challenging games gone? Or why isn't music as good? And you see a lot of that that really kind of comes in from people who played a lot of games in their prime, but then didn't really bring that forward. You know, there's a lot of stuff that used to happen back then. So I would almost say that everyone in general has less time as their lives get busier, but at the same time, it's more important to make sure you set that time aside to know that something is different because games haven't gotten easier. They've just added difficulty settings that not everyone embraces. That's, that's a big part of the gaming industry as game designers. It's the goal is really to protect the player from themselves because player psychology states that someone will do the easiest route and they will gamify the fun out of something in order to become the most efficient because we care as people and I do this too. I'll sit around in a Final Fantasy game and spin in circles and my wife will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm Step training counter. for the next fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's something to where yeah, in general, I think people have less time to play games, but it's very important to because you have to know what you're doing. You have to know these new games. You have to know how players are acting and interacting with games now because they, they have changed over so many years. Okay, so I got one more kind of gaming related question, but then we'll talk about yeah. what you do for a living. I mean, that's largely gaming, but like, I, that's what we're just gonna do here. Um, I give you one game. Like, I'm sure you've been asked this before. What's your favorite all time? You only get one game ever game. That's really hard. So I, I game pretty much as my primary form of entertainment, of visual entertainment at least. Um, so I don't really watch a lot of movies or TV. I do because, you know, especially as a narrative designer, it's very important for me to set time aside for, for stories of all medias. Um, but I would say that the one exception to that rule is the MCU. I love a universe that is completely and in, in connected. I love that you can have many stories. In fact, that's a big reason why I love games is before these connected universes kind of came around, that's what games did. You had this side quest and this side quest, and then they all kind of pooled together at the end for a big side quest. So the reason why I say that, despite not relating to games at all, is because I, I guess I have two answers. I would say that my favorite game of all time would probably be Persona 5. Especially as a narrative designer, 
I just the story and the characters they're my favorite just just flat out period that being said I guess my secondary answer would be the Mass Effect trilogy I would say that combat aside the Persona 5 game is better than any of the Mass Effect games individually but I don't know that if I, I don't think that I could say that the that Persona 5 is better than the Mass Effect collective Okay. Well, I mean, that story just that wove its way through all three of those games. It was just so, it was so good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's kind of the fun thing is in Persona 5, you know, th these are characters that are digital and they, they're, you know, they have pre-scripted lines and stuff like that, but you can really feel that you, you could walk away from that game and confidently say, these are some of my best friends. That's how well I know them, despite the fact that they're just fictional characters but mass effect is able to do take that exact same principle but you're right weave it in between multiple games i'm um, getting into the narrative side of things you know you've got your big overarching story but then you have all these little stories especially in games and sometimes they're side quests but sometimes they're just the relationships you develop with these side characters and so the fact that mass effect is able to not only give you a relationship with the side character but take that through three games many of the characters which don't always survive all three games is just something that as much as i love persona 5 and again individual game wise i would put persona 5 up there it can't compete with the ability to traverse through multiple different titles like the way mass effect does fantastic i think you just sold me on buying persona 5 after this is done <laughs> it, you know i i hate i hate that you said that because now i feel like if you get it and you don't love it as much as i said i feel like i've just done that to you but i am pretty confident and not change i'm not changing my answer i am confident in that i really do enjoy that game it is fantastic i love it all right so you are a narrative designer what does that mean so it essentially means that i write stories um you know that's the short version of it um i so you can really kind of divide narrative into three parts the characters, the worlds, and the stories. Um, there's a lot of different methods out there um, for building stories. A lot of them are a big one that a lot of people you'll hear reference all the time is the three X structure. And so that is very character centric in the way it does things. And I, I, you know, there's different ways that people do different things, but I'm, I'm a big fan of the three X structure specifically for that reason. It really does take character and pull it towards the forefront. So when I, work as a narrative designer, you know, in, in one hand, you know, uh, sorry, I'm repeating myself. Um, I build the story. I, I say, this is where the characters are, this is where they're going to be. But I also build the world itself. I'm, I'm a world builder. I help say, this is the world. This is why it is the way it is. And then this is how it will be at the end of the story. But then I'll also design the characters. I'll sit back and say, hey, this character is who they are. This is what this character means to you. And by the end of this journey, uh, especially depending on whether or not the, the character, how, how much the control over the narrative the player has going forward, you know, I'll be able to write how that character will end up being at the end. Um, and, you know, that's something that a writer does, but a narrative designer is kind of a head above that. So a narrative designer not only works within the story itself, but also within the visual. So if you have a book, you have the narrative with the world character and story. But if you have a movie, you also have the cinematography, you also have the acting, you have the CGI, all these visuals that come into play. So there's visual storytelling brought in. So in a book, you describe how somebody looks. In a movie, you see that, and you wanna make sure that the clothes the person is wearing, the weapons that they're carrying speak to who they are. And then games give you a very different aspect. Games are all about 
the interactive storytelling. How do you go through this story based on the actions that you took? So God of War is a fantastic example. It really takes you on the journey between Kratos and his son. And it does that through the story, but also does that through the gameplay. As you progress through the game, Kratos or you know Atreus gets more powerful. So you see that through the interactivity as well. I love this is so fascinating. Um, how did you even get started on this? What's your professional background? What got you to this point? So my professional background is actually in child development. Um, now, technically speaking, so I started off in high school and I started doing game design. Um, I knew that I wanted to play games. I knew that that was something that I wanted to be involved in. However, um, I, I got out of it um, in high school for a little bit. I kind of took a step back and said that as much as I enjoyed games, um, you know, I, I got sucked into it. And this was pretty early on um, when, you know, gaming education was pretty new at the time. And it was entertaining. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to competitions and hanging out with friends and, you know, being with people who just knew games. I took some programming classes. I did some 3D animation, um, which, you know, was a horrendous mistake whoever let me into that class because that <laughs> my art skills are not great. Um, but I took several classes with that and it just got to the point where I took a step back. So then I went into, you know, touched a bit into psychology. Um, I didn't, you know, major in that. I actually didn't major in anything. I had to take time away from college just because of a sick family and everything like that. Um, but I ended up doing, you know, coaching and teaching for children. So I was able to go in and um, teach different kids about different aspects. And one of the classes that they wanted me to dive into was a touch of game design. So I got back into the game design side and people were asking me questions and I tended to lead more towards the narrative side. So that's kind of what brought me back in is after I dealt with childcare and, and teaching, I kind of got back into the gaming industry and, you know, narrative design years ago when I first got started was not something that was readily available. I mean, the most popular game series is Mario and I, that has a narrative for sure, but not something that my skills are going to be able to really take to the next level, not with the way that Nintendo does their stuff. How else can the um, princess be kidnapped? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and you know, it, the narrative is still important in those games, but it's definitely not, you know, Mass Effect. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's how I kind of got brought back in. Is, as I studied that stuff, I kind of left, especially not there being a less of a narrative field, um, back in the day. And then, you know, I'm kind of coming back into it, especially as, you know, with the industry having grown as much as it is, narrative is becoming a lot more important. If they can't match the visuals, they they tend to bring up the storytelling aspect. I love it. Okay. So part of the purpose of my show is to um, demonstrate to my viewers that there's these other options that they might be able to take. Maybe they're not the best artist, but they are decent at writing a decent story. Maybe they can follow in your footsteps and go down that path. How did how do you get hired? Like, how do you actually make money doing this? So there are a variety of ways to do that, and in a way, it's they kind of lead into each other. So obviously, the best way to do it is to get through college and get your degree. That is just the greatest way to do it. Uh, let me rephrase that. It's not the greatest way to do it. It's definitely the simplest way to do it. Um, and most schools have access to game design programs now. It's not something that's so rare. I, I can't promise that everywhere, but a lot of community colleges in a lot of cities are offering classes like this. And even, even those that don't, you can still get online programming through a school, through, through online schooling. A lot of schools, especially with what's going on recently, have 
brought in online education as a more viable option. So location-wise, there's plenty of options. Um, you know, I can't speak to the money um, college-wise because I don't know where anyone else is. Um, but for those of you guys who are very interested, there are a lot of loans and grants and just a lot of great resources out there by a lot of people um, that, you know, takes a little bit of, you know, a little bit of research to be able to compile to get to that phase. Now, whether or not you were in college or you were not, experience is still very important. And a lot of, you know, you'll see the meme online that like, I need work to gain experience, to gain work, to gain experience. Um, and it's an endless loop. But games are incredible in the technology that we have. We have access to the Unity and Unreal gaming engines, both of them with their own visual scripting languages. There are art assets online. You can do a 2D game or a 3D game. There are free sound files online. There is so much access. Even if you don't specialize in a given area, there are YouTube tutorials to teach you everything that you would know and anything that you can't use, there are assets, free assets everywhere for you to be able to download and use. And I would highly recommend for anyone to be able to make their own game, whether that, you know, start that off in college, start off working on that in college, or if you don't make it to college, that's fine too. Just work on that there. It may go viral and, and make you a millionaire. It may not, but regardless, it's something you can put on your resume. It's something to sit back and say, hey, I did this. I have the skills and devotion to really be able to put that forward. So that's, that's the, the next step that I would say that you want to take. And then the final step is just apply and apply everywhere. Um, you know, I use LinkedIn and Indeed and then just Google for everything. Um, a lot of people ask me for resume advice and I sit back, I'm like, I, I have a resume that I used to have. And what I did was I cleared it out and I said, hey, I don't want you looking at this because you're not gonna hire me just based off of a resume, off of a piece of paper when you guys are an interactive medium. So here, this is my website. So I don't even have a resume. If they ask me for a resume, I submit a piece of paper. It's got my photo, my name, my phone number, all that stuff that they can contact me with. And then I'm like, but you have to go to my website because that is interactive. It has all the stories. It has my writing samples. You don't need to go anywhere else. Um, and a website is again, free to create through Wix or through Weebly. Um, you don't have to know how to do it. You just it's dragging and dropping a whole bunch of stuff. There are free templates to use. Um, all my samples are there, my resumes there, everything. So, okay, fantastic. Thank you. That's fantastic advice. Um, are the are the positions more contract, more project based, or are they more like career based? Um, it really depends. Uh, again, this is a field that has access to be able to use many different methods of getting from one place to another. So you might find somebody who's working on an indie game, and it's going to take them a certain amount of time to get something done and they only have a certain number of resources. And those resources are something that you're only going to be able to get a contract work for. You know, hey, I have this much money and I need, you know, I need this to be done by this date. You pick that up, you do the job and then you're done. And then, you know, you hope that people are able to finish that game up with, with or without you being there. But if you do get into the AAA side, then yeah, that's definitely something that you're probably gonna be hanging out there for a while. Um, you know, games take four years, four years on average to make. Um, with the new stuff, we have new tools, which is awesome. But those new tools, as much as they do make things faster, they increase our capabilities. So games are probably going to be five or six year long projects that people are going to take on. And that's going to be something that even on a contract level, you're going to be there for half a decade. That's so interesting. Okay, so 
what are the like, biggest challenges you face in, in being a narrative designer? Okay, so the biggest, so the way that I find that different companies organize different ways, but the way that I find to be very efficient in organizing a company is you have at the top the creative director. He's the one who says, I have this idea and I want it this way or that way or, you know, anyway. And, um, you know, he, she, they will come in and they'll say, this is my goal. But there's no way on earth that that person, and communication is very important, but as a creative director, but I don't care how good your communication is, you're not going to be able to communicate your goal all the way down to the lowest level of people. So you have a secondary level down. And th those are the narrative designers and the game designers. And the narrative and game designers both need to have some level of expertise in writing, programming, art, and sound design. They don't have to know how to do each one, but they have to know enough to be able to communicate with the next level down. The trick is, is that the game designers are there to use story, art, sound, and programming to get the game experience through. The narrative designers are there, are, you know, use art, story, sound, and game design to get the narrative through. And so that is the biggest fight that you're going to have, is, is how do you push the narrative and how do you push the game design through and you know you talk about a, a, a culture in in terms of a work field and chemistry that people have there is nothing more important than making sure that your narrative designer and your game designers can sit side by side and do a great job together because that is the hardest part is making sure that the sh story shines through every aspect while they are trying to make sure that the uh, game shines through in every aspect so cool. All right. I'd be loath if I didn't ask you, what have you worked on? Um, so nothing huge, um, unfortunately, as of yet. And to be honest, I think that that's by design. Um, I've gotten, I got a few offers from some other people. Um, and I, you know, they were not AAA, but they were definitely AA studios. And I turned them down because they were just, at the time I had other offers and they were smaller teams. And I just, I enjoy that so much more. However, my most recent title that I was working on was for a company called I Play More. It's a Canadian company and they're still working on their title. So I can't say too much, but they're working on a game called Thunder. And I started off working on that with them on a, you know, on a narrative design side saying, hey, how can we connect this here and here? But the most fascinating part and the part that was actually brand new to me was I was actually moved to a to lead the TV writing team. So they were gonna use the same assets from the game in Unreal Engine and move them to a TV show. Um, that's the big thing with Unreal Engine 5. So they were working on Unreal Engine 4 and I was gonna take a little extra work to get it moving. But with Unreal Engine 5, that's, that's, the, big, that's the big news break is that you don't have to work and increase those models anymore. Now that you're going to seamlessly be able to jump back and forth. So that was actually one of my most interesting gigs right there. And it's still, you know, a little ways out the door, um, but I was contracted to, you know, come in and consult with and lead that team of writers to put that out the door. Okay. Um, since this is the Gamerpreneur, I like asking about money. How's, how's the money on this job or this particular career path? Um, you know, it really depends. Uh, there's a lot of ways to sit and measure the money. So the first thing that you can measure is value. And it's no secret, you know, everyone knows about crunch time. So in one way, crunch time is something that is very iffy. It's something that pops up um, when you're talking about salaries. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that's like, hey, 
you know, you, you have a deadline to get to, you have a certain amount of cash you have to get through and nobody wants to do crunch time. You know, the big bosses up top, as much as they want to save money, they still don't want to do the crunch time because then someone has to be there leading the team and someone has to do that. So nobody enjoys the crunch time, contrary to popular belief, but you only, you know, you have a certain amount of time to get this stuff out. So on a per value basis, you know, when it comes to crunch time, especially at the end of the game, you know, you could make a lot of extra cash being a programmer for software or for as an engineer, um, you know, artistry, you could probably make a little bit extra cash doing movies and stuff. So comparatively, and the field, because the field has gotten, you know, it's grown a lot more, the money is getting better. As the industry itself grows and these individual companies grow and they have more cash to put down towards stuff, it's getting better. And fact is, is that I think that it's going to actually get a lot better um, if companies start organizing themselves in a better fashion, I think that there's going to be a lot more money to go around. And so I think that these industries will be able to be able to afford to be able to pay these people a little bit more because their stuff is going to be able to get farther. Um, but other than that, you know, it's not bad. It's definitely livable. Um, a lot of these studios do come from Silicon Valley though. Well, you know, not where you are. And that is something that is, you know, it's a more expensive place to live. But there's a lot of companies all over the world and you have to also, and this is very important for anyone, if you're living in a place where the cost of living is a lot smaller and you get a job offer for a lot of cash, make sure you check the cost of living before you go there. And that being said, that's really if you have a lot of job offers. If you don't have a lot of job offers and you get the chance to go, go, because that experience is very important to have. But you know, if, if you've already done that, make sure before you dive into something with a lot more cash to check the cost of living. But overall, these companies have a little, enough money to make sure that everyone lives pretty well. You're not gonna get rich unless you're doing it yourself and have a lot of luck, but it's well enough. Beautiful. All right, so about how many years have you been a narrative designer? Oh, okay. So I would say that I've been a narrative designer for officially for two or three years. I started off um, over a decade ago doing copywriting. Um, so that was, you know, this kind of the start of my writing career. And that essentially was marketing work. So I'd come up with catchphrases. I would write scripts for commercials, little things like that. I worked for a few local companies. Um, <laughs> there was somebody working on, you know, the Apple Watch you know, the smartphone watches way before Apple was, and I helped them get some stuff off the ground, um, you know, before, you know, the big names came in and took over, um, worked for a few local restaurants and stuff like that. But then I got the offer to come in and help work on a small title years ago. Um, it was a very Pokemon-esque title. Um, and that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. I was able to kind of come in and there was an overarching lore to the story and then an overarching story but because a game like Pokemon doesn't really have a lot going for it, I was able to spend the rest of my time really working on the characters. And again, like I said earlier, you know, characters really are, to me especially, but I think in a general sense, the most important aspect of a story. So that was that was a lot of fun. That's that's where I got my start. But then, you know, I guess for the narrative design side, I've probably been doing it for a few years now, three or four years now. Okay. All right. So um, if you go back in time, Say, let's go back a full decade, 10 years, and you could meet little Isaac and you go, hey, Isaac, this is everything that's going to happen to you over the next 10 years. But here's the one thing you need to know. What is it you tell him? 
Okay, and I'm assuming that I'm not allowed to, you know, give them the stock information from the future. <laughs> no, no, Back to the Future Two storylines here. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would. I, I think that the one thing that I would dive into is I would sit back and, you know, have them keep on the narrative, and I wouldn't even have to go back that far. Again, when I started, I kind of left the field because, you know, narrative was still there. There was still some very important stuff in narrative going on. There were some very impressive thematic games coming out. You know, it wasn't, uh, I'm not going all the way back to the 8-bit era, but at the same time, there weren't as many of them going around. You know, it was, it was moderately rare to come across that. So I would probably say, you know, keep on the writing um, and keep doing that because that was one of the hardest things. I mean, I hate the word game designer because it's a word that everyone throws around. Oh, I want to be a game designer. I want to do this. I want to do that. But nobody really understands what that means because there's no clear implication of it. You can be a programmer. You can be uh, an artist. You can be a sound designer. You can be a, you know, a, a writer. There are all these different aspects to it. There are essentially four aspects to the game design field um, and the narrative design field that you kind of have to understand a little bit of. But narrative was just not something that people were chatting about. So I would go back and say, hey, keep on the narrative side, because this is something that people are really going to be coming in and bringing a lot of. And I think the narrative design has a lot of growth to go still as well. So fantastic. Okay, I got one more question, then we'll start bringing this in for a landing. Um, I believe that we learn the most in our life from our failures, not necessarily our successes. And you've had some incredible successes, uh, but, but it's when we get smacked in the face, you get knocked down, you have to learn how to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and then figure out what happens so you can move forward. So what I'd like to ask you as we wrap this up, what do you consider your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Um, so I would say that, actually, I'm gonna loop this back around into narrative design. I have a quote that I use and it kind of comes back to story and it's that creativity is the focus of imagination and imagination is inspired by experience. So you're right, failure really being one of those larger experiential things really does help shape all of that. Um, as for my biggest failure in life, I'm trying to think through, hey, you know what, I, I had, Early on, when I was started working, I had a business deal that I was working on, and it was, I was on the narrative design side, a little bit on the game design side, but I didn't really trust myself. So I invested not a ton of cash, but enough to make me a little bit uncomfortable with it being lost into a bad business venture, um, specifically had someone work on designing my game. And I did not, it was because I didn't have the confidence in each of the fields that I felt like I wanted to make this, you know, excel in. I didn't have enough experience for composing. I didn't know anyone who was a composer. I didn't have enough experience with art. Um, I'm more of a big picture type of person. So I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring in another company who was going to be able to take my overarching design and put it into something that was going to be a lot more detailed, a lot more realized. And it didn't work out. <laughs> And the thing that that taught me more than anything else is it didn't give me confidence, but it taught me that I need to put more confidence in myself than in others. And I, you know, there's still times you struggle. Again, I'm a narrative designer, which means that I need to not only know story, but I also need to know enough about programming and art and sound. And so when I have to go and communicate with these people, I'm very capable of doing it, but it doesn't mean that it's not a little bit scary to be able to step in and be like, oh, 
shoot, this person knows a lot more than I do. And they're definitely going to tell everyone that I'm an idiot. And then I'm definitely going to lose my job. So, you know, that's, that's, that was one of the biggest failures that I had. And it really did bring in to the fact that I needed to put more confidence and trust in myself a little bit more than I anticipated. All right. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right, Isaac, how do people find you? Where can they reach you at? Where are you at on social media? So I kind of don't do a lot of social media. Um, my website is my biggest place that people can find me. Um, however, I am just now setting up a YouTube channel. I actually, just before this interview, was working on um, some of the aspects for that. So I'm going to have that set up. Um, and I will start sending that out to people as well. One of the things I really wanted to do was, you know, I like making games, but at the same time, I really like playing them. And there are certain games out there, games I have played recently, games from companies who are known for their narrative prowess that have been unbelievably disappointing. So for me, I want to play these games and I, I play mostly single player games for the story. So I'm setting up a YouTube channel as we speak to dive into the narrative side of things. So as of right now, my website is um, available through Wix. And I can go ahead and send you that link because okay. it's complicated. It's, um, you know, they, they dive in and they have their, you know, Wix site um, dot work 005 backslash narrative designer three. So I will send you that information to have. Um, but I am working on that right now. And I want to do that because I want other people to have access to the same information that I do so that, you know, it, it sounds benevolent, but so that I can play better games. <laughs> Um, so I will be putting that up very soon. And that is the best place for people to be able to find me at. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Now, as we're wrapping this up, do you have any final thoughts you want to share or anything I didn't ask you think we still need to cover? You know, I am trying to think through something, you know what, there, there's one big thing. Um, you know, I guess it's really a prediction for the future of narrative design. And this kind of a message to other narrative designers, um, which, you know, talking about the future is always great for sticking one's foot in one's mouth. Um, but the future of narrative design is going to be great. Unreal Engine 5 is about to give us the capabilities of transferring models between games and, you know, movies seamlessly. This will mean that larger companies will have the ability to create detailed assets for AAA games, and they will be able to take that AAA team and move them to another title, but then have a AA team come in and use those same assets, that same code for a smaller title. I mean, we could sit back, the prices for games are about to go up to $70. And that's something, you know, we've got a lot of in-app purchases and microtransactions that people are diving into to try and recuperate those costs. But I see that instead of doing something like that, you can develop a $70 game and then have a double A team use those same assets to develop a $40 game. You can also have a production team come in and use those models to make a movie off of, you know, and it's not the main character. You're still leaving a lot of player choice in there, but you can have them develop it off of a side character. But in order to pull something like that off, you have to have a narrative designer at the forefront. You have to have, and again, this goes back to me loving the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's got many different directors and many different writers, but it's it's Kevin Feige, the 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 leader of that group who brings all of that together. And so it's very important for narrative designers to be ready for that day and age that is essentially starting next year is when Unreal Engine 5 is coming out. This is when narrative designers are going to need to step up and you know stop 
writing for individual games. Stop writing for this one. You know, Assassin's Creed is a great example. You've got many Assassin's Creed games, but they're all individual. I mean, <laughs> you could even say Metal Gear. You know, Hideo Kojima writes these games in sequential order, but the themes take priorities. So in a way, you don't have to play the previous game to be able to play the next. And that's something that narrative designers are going to be able to step in and say, this is a franchise. This IP can go on for years, not just one game to the next, but one game to the smaller game to the movie, then to the next. And that's something the narrative designers are really going to be able to step in and lead that team going forward. Fantastic. I got one more question. I just thought of it. Yeah. Um, my last one, I promise. Um, it's all good. Since we were talking about how you want to train people to be better narrative designers because you see bad examples out there. What is your quintessential example of bad narrative design in a video game? You know, it's not that simple because there, there are lots of bad examples out there, but they're bad for different reasons. You know, some games are are bad narratively. I mean, you know, Resident Evil is a huge franchise, but their writing for the first game was awful. I mean, Jill Sandwich is one of the, still to this day, one of the biggest memes in gaming that you're ever going to find. But then you you take a game um, like some of the Square Enix titles that have come out recently, like Kingdom Hearts 3, and, you know, they started off and they're like, hey, we're going to make the first game. It was hugely successful. So then they made the second game and it was hugely successful. But they put out all these little spinoffs. So then the narrative designers stepped in and they didn't bother with the sunk cost fallacy. They sat back and they said, we need to include every ridiculous aspect from this franchise. Stuff that was like, hey, we don't want to remake the first game for the Game Boy Advance, but we do want to kind of remake the first game for the Game Boy Advance. So they had to include cards. They had to include replicas. And, and that was, it, it was for a completely different reason that that game was bad than anything else. Final Fantasy VII, I was not a huge fan of um, because I felt like the original Final Fantasy VII, they really spoke true to their themes. But in this game, they decided to change up things and make things a little bit more gray. And, but they did a half-day job with that. They, they, they could have taken that so much farther but they played it safe. So in some titles, they didn't play it safe. You know, Kingdom Hearts just tried to pull everything together into one. Final Fantasy VII didn't, you know, Kingdom Hearts took too many steps. Final Fantasy VII didn't take enough steps. There is a balance to it that is very challenging to get right. Very possible, um, but very challenging. So that's kind of one of the things that I did is, is I took a lot of narrative design expertise and you'll get a lot of different story structures the 3x structure the story circle here with the thousand faces 5x structure freytag shakespeare all that stuff and for me it was driving me off the wall i was like how are you supposed to write when you can't even figure out the right structure to use um and there's a lot of people who are like structure is just nonsense it's used to sell books and you know there's definitely people who break the rules of structure but in order to break them you have to know them so i developed my own story structure and i was like no this is ridiculous and so I call it the three dimensions of story. And it's really there to kind of access the, it splits narrative up in the character story and world. And how do these three things interact? And then it takes you through the hero's journey, which is how you move the story forward. And then it takes you through the pacing curve to perfect it. So that was for me, the best way that I can think of um, for the story. And in fact, I, I can even send you a copy of that for you to post up yes, um, for anyone to download. Um, I, I do offer that. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, and again, like I said, I want to play great games. So I'm giving this out and encouraging people, you know, especially in the narrative design field to read it. But I think that that is the optimal, you know, I feel like I'm you know, selling myself a little bit here, but again, it's, it's for free. Did. It's a gamerpreneur. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like that is the optimal way to do narrative design because 
for me, I felt lost in narrative design because of how many different things that there were until I was able to combine it together. So uh, my hope is that that is everything that you need. However, one more thing that I wanna push forward. I study narrative design. Again, I didn't get through college, but I say narrative design through YouTube. Um, and some of these channels people will be familiar with, but there are game design channels like uh, Game Maker's Toolkit and Extra Credits that I listen to. There are narrative design channels like Lessons from the Screenplay and, um, and uh, you know, other channels like that, um, that, you know, Tyler Mowry, these are the people who I've learned from and they're, they're instrumental in me having created this story structure. So if you're looking to dive into this stuff, learning this stuff, YouTube is a fantastic resource. And on my website, which um, again, I will send you the URL for, there is a list of those channels that I prefer. And you know, there's still other channels that I haven't found or other channels that people may like more, but those are the channels that I use to learn everything that I need to know. So that is also a great free resource for you to have at any time. Beautiful. Isaac Phoenix, thank you so much for coming on today. We genuinely do appreciate this. No, thank you for having me. This is, uh, you know, it's it's fun to be able to talk about your passions and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a great outlet for me too. This will keep me quiet game-wise away from my wife for a little bit. So she appreciates it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I understand my, my, my door's closed there in the other room. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I honestly want to talk to you more because like this is only about 40 minutes. I'm like, there's there's so much this man has in him. Like I, honestly, I, anybody who's listening, I recommend you reaching out to Isaac. Maybe he'll give you more some advice because like, I could tell you, you had stuff in you. You just wanted to say, we just didn't have the time. Well, you know that I do. And that, you know, that's where I'm hoping that the YouTube channel will come in. But again, I'll send my URL and I'm, I'm happy to reach out and chat with people. Um, you know, networking, uh, you know what, going back to your previous question about how to get into the industry, networking is very, very important. Um, and, and so I, I can't recommend highly enough getting in touch with other people and sitting back and saying, you know, I learned something from this guy. I, I got into this job through through this person. These people were able to to help me go here. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to reach out and, and chat with people. Uh, again, my wife doesn't, my wife, I talk about this stuff too much. And my wife's offense, it's not that she doesn't like talking about this stuff. It's the fact that I talk about it too much. So, you know, you'll be doing us all a favor by reaching out. <laughs> um, but networking is very important. So yeah, reaching out to anyone and everyone you can is, is very important in any field of this industry, especially. Beautiful. All right. Thank you again, Isaac. And on that note, I'm going to say, don't be just a gamer, be a gamerpreneur. <laughs>